Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I'm your host, Lucas Miles. Hello and welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I am your host, Lucas Miles. Our guest today is Michael Anthony, who is a popular speaker and blogger on CourageMatters.com. He's also the founder and president of God Factor and the lead pastor of Grace Fellowship Church in York, Pennsylvania. Michael and his writings have been featured in major publications and news outlets such as the New York Times, LA Times, FoxNews.com, CNN, ABC, CBS, as well as the Christian Post. He's a brilliant guy with a ton to say, and in today's program, we talk about how he survived multiple kidnapping attempts as a child, confrontation he had with a Muslim man at Hyde Park, and what America's future would look like if Christians continued to remain silent. Michael released a book earlier this year called A Call for Courage, which provides a roadmap for Christians on how to be courageous in an increasingly hostile and intolerant world. Don't go away. You're going to enjoy this interview with Michael Anthony. Michael, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be with you. What a pr- what a privilege, Lucas. Thank you. It's always good to connect, and I'm excited just to jump into your story. Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's get to it. That'd be great. Hello to your audience as well. Excited that everybody's joining us. I think that they're going to uh, you know, really find this fascinating today. I know there's a lot to unpack here. I want to give as much time as possible to do that. And to start with, you know, going deep here quick, on your bio, it says that you have survived multiple kidnapping attempts and really several brushes with death. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, you weren't kidding when you said you wanted to jump in, right? You want to go right <laughs> to the green potatoes. You know, um, when I was about four or five years old, we lived in Riverdale, New Jersey. And uh, I was out riding my bike with my older brother. And a car pulled up, an older looking car, you know, with the fins in the back uh, over the rear wells. And this guy wearing a pair of looked like, you know, dark sunglasses like the old Ray-Bans opened up the door and he said, hey, little boy, would you like some candy? That classic line, abduction line that you hear and you think, you know, that's so cheesy to use. But he did it. And I ran away. I knew enough to run away. And then a few days later, maybe a week later, the same creepy looking guy wearing, again, a pair of sunglasses. Now with a woman in the car wearing a pair of sunglasses opened up the door. And there on the seat of the front, the front seat of the car was a revolver. And he said, get in the car. So I ran away. I knew enough to run away. And within about a week's time or so, this same creepy guy was in back of my house. I, for some reason, probably because I didn't know how to talk about it. I never shared these stories with my parents, but the neighbors knew about it. My, I guess my friends knew about it and word spread around. The police came to my house because the same creepy guy was in the back of our house carrying a large yellow sack that was big enough to put me into. And I identified him. And then not long after that, we moved from that part of New Jersey to a farm at about a 26 acre farm at several hours away. And true story. And later on, we found out when you think about motive, what would the motive have been? Well, we don't totally know, but we do know that my parents were fighting an illegal sand pit that was not far from the back of our house that was actually operated. So they, the story goes, the mob was involved in it. So we oh, didn't wow. really know who we were involved with. Uh, that's true story. True story. Yeah. Uh, multiple times. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, 
you know, that, that's not, that's not the experience. I mean, I'm sure everybody has some story, but having that many times and at that level, you know, uh, how did you process that as a kid? Well, it, it made a a deep impact on me because, uh, like I said, I had, um, just went to visit the site for the second time uh, in my lifetime about four to six weeks ago and actually did a little video vlogging. I like to vlog and blog. And um, I've often reflected upon that, Lucas, because I almost died four times too. I had four brushes with death. So uh, including a bout with cancer where I had a softball-sized tumor wrapped around my superior vena cava, which is right next to the Anagata de Vida baby. <laughs> but, but, um, all those things add up, you know, I'm thankful that God spared my life. I think it's a continual reminder for me and for your listeners. Life is precious. You never know how much of it you have or don't have. And I try to make the most of my life with the time that I have left to try to make it honor God and deeply positively impact people. You know, speaking of having a positive impact on people, you suggest that kind of one way that we do that is finding a balance between grace and truth. Right. And, you know, that, that Christians have been characterized by either being, you know, maybe intolerant and hard or too accommodating, too compromising, too, you know, giving into culture. How do we marry truth and love when dealing with people, wanting to love them, wanting to find, you know, really how do we be Jesus in, a, in this world is really probably what the question is. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. That's one of the things that uh, my signature things that I talk about, whether it's in my book, A Call for Courage, which just came out, I talk about that deeply, or whether it's, you know, when I'm speaking before a live audience, I'm always talking about the divine equation is that we are to speak the truth in love. That's what Ephesians 4 says. We're not supposed to just speak the truth. We're not supposed to just be loving. In fact, the most unloving thing you can do to somebody is withhold the truth when you know what the truth is. That's the most unloving thing. The most loving thing you can do for somebody is tell them the truth when you know what it is. So it's not one or the other, it's both. You know, we're living in this day and age in the United States where reverse intolerance is so prevalent. I talk about that in A Call for Courage. But what I mean is people want to talk about tolerance all day long these days. It's all the rage, you know, Lucas? (laughs) This is true. Unless you're a person of faith, then we don't want to hear from you. We, we don't want to hear about that. So it's reverse intolerance. And what I'm trying to do is help people stand up and speak out with truth and love. You know, you talk about this idea of courageous humility. Is that really what you mean when you say that? Can you break that down for me? Yeah, it is. Uh, courageous humility or humble courage. I use those phrases interchangeably. Um, when truth and love travel together, that's the definition of courageous humility or humble courage. Jesus perfectly embodied both. He always spoke the truth. He was the embodiment of truth, as we know. And yet he was continually and constantly and purely humble. Remember when he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm humble. And so if we're really following Jesus, we will reflect the character of Jesus. And nobody was more perfectly humble and courageous than Jesus. And we always become like the people we spend time with. And I'm deeply concerned about the rebranding that has happened to evangelical Christianity in the United States. Somehow we've been rebranded. The religion of love and truth and power has been rebranded as a religion of hate and phoniness in many instances. 
and weakness. I think we need to take our branding back from the inside out. I say all the time that God has a PR problem, and uh, I think that, you know, really we're called to be publicists in this world, you know, to some extent, um, you know, shaping uh, shaping people's understanding of, of who he is because they've been fed for so long, you know, this, this contrary messaging. Um, talk to me maybe about a specific example that you see in Jesus's life where he demonstrated this, this humble courage or courageous humility. I think it's worth your listeners to do a character study on Jesus in all four Gospels, in all four Gospels, and to look for the masterful ways, the master communicator, because that's, that's who he is, the way he knew when to speak sternly to hypocrites, and when he knew to speak sternly but lovingly also to those who were in the deepest need. Perfect example would be when he called out the religious leaders of the day. He said, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Wow, that's unbelievable. And yet believable that he would say it because the religious leaders were supposed to be pointing people to the Messiah when he showed up on the scenes. And instead they were trying to get people away from Jesus, the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. So Jesus' strongest criticism and courage was demonstrated toward the hypocrites. And yet when he stooped down to talk to the woman caught in adultery, for example, He didn't say, hey, I realize that you've sinned. No problem. It's okay. Stay as you are. He said, go and sin no more. And so Jesus did judge. He judged all the time. And one day we're going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ for believers or the great white throne judgment for those who don't believe. And yet Jesus was continually holding out that olive branch of forgiveness to him, forgiveness to God the Father without compromise. And the woman at the well is a perfect example of saying, go, sin no more. And yet she knew what her sin was very clearly because Jesus pointed it out. It's a beautiful example of truth and love traveling together demonstrated in Jesus. And that's what we should be doing as his followers. That's good. Really appreciate you sharing that. Um, talk to us a little bit about, I, I've heard a story with you about uh, a confrontation uh, that you had, uh, if that's maybe, maybe that's not the right uh, terminology, but an encounter that you had with a Muslim man in Hyde Park. I didn't know you were going to bring that up because <laughs> everybody wants to hear about this story. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about it. Let's get into it. <laughs> I was in uh, London with some friends of mine. We were going to, we were on our way to Israel to do a study trip there. And we were on our way getting, getting ready to have some lunch. But in Speaker Square, Speaker's Corner, there are people who literally will wear sandwich signs, stand up on soapboxes, and they'll talk about politics, they'll talk about religion, they'll talk about social issues, whatever their cause is. And so it's kind of an entertaining thing to do. You'll go over to that area and you want to see, you know, who's the, the flavor of the day, you know? And so depending on what the person's speaking about and how well of a communicate, how good of a communicator they are, the crowd will either descend upon them or stay away from them. Well, it was pretty empty crowd around all these different people, except this one guy had maybe about 25 people around him or so. So I said to my friend, Natalie, I said, hey, let's go over. And uh, that's not her real name, of course, but I said, let's go over and find out what this guy's all about. And he was a Muslim who was very animated. The crowd was laughing at the things he was saying, not laughing at him, but laughing because he was making them laugh by the things he was saying. And he was criticizing Christians. And sadly, he was criticizing them for some of their appearance on Christian television. 
which we can probably identify with some of that if we're honest, the way some Christians come across on television with whether it's hairstyles or makeup and things of that sort, a little bit exorbitant. And he was also criticizing us for our beliefs. And the next thing you know, somebody in the crowd shouts out to him and to the whole crowd, yes, but the big difference between you and me is that if you sin or if I sin, I have somebody that uh, has forgiven me for my sins. And with that, the whole crowd turned around and the person that had made that comment was yours truly. It was me. (laughs) I didn't expect to do that. It was the Holy Spirit welling up inside of me. And that began this debate that I detail uh, pretty extensively in A Call for Courage. There's a chapter. Chapter two is called uh, Courage Matters, where I detail that. And I provide it as an example of I wasn't planning on doing that that day. By the time we were done debating, the the Muslim man actually said somebody killed that man, referencing Mm. me when the crowd swelled to multiple times its original size. And I had to literally walk through the crowd looking to my left and to my right with my eyes and ears wide open for somebody who might take him up on his um, decree, somebody killed that man. I walked out, I walked away unscathed and I provided in the book as an example of how courage is something that anybody can exhibit if you're simply willing to get out of the way and let God use you with courage. Yeah, that's powerful. And, you know, I think that uh, for, for people that travel uh, internationally, you know, I can think of situations that I've been in East Africa and different places where, you know, I can completely see that happening, you know, and, and I can see that scene and, and I know what that looks like. And I think that, um, uh, you know, maybe five years ago, even, I don't know if a lot of the Christian world maybe even would have been able to identify with that if they haven't left the U.S. But, uh, as you mentioned, our world's becoming increasingly more hostile, uh, to just the message of faith and, and, uh, mm-hmm. more intolerant, you know, towards the message of faith. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I think that this idea of courage is so important because, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're in a time where we need it. Uh, you talk a little bit and actually quite a bit about this, this, um, uh, you know, really what the opposite maybe of, of courage is, and that's fear. And that you see that our, our culture has been saturated by fear. What what kind of fear is that specifically? Oh, well, if we look around us, that's a great question. There's so much division and tumult going on. There's racial division. There's financial uncertainty. There's uh, differences politically in regard to foreign policy between other nations. You think of North Korea. You think of what's happening with Iran and how... Uh, certainly with Iran, the conflict is just beginning. Then there's also this whole issue of reverse intolerance toward people of faith, where I have so many people say to me, Lucas, boy, I wish I had your courage. And I say, listen, uh, because fear has been such a theme in my life, and I've had to overcome those fears, or God overcame them in me, that's the only reason why I want to share my story. I want to give people hope. So there's, there's so many opportunities that people wish they could stand up and speak out. They just don't know how. They just don't know how to do it. So every place we turn, you think about pornography, uh, whether it's on a mobile device now or whether it's uh, on a computer or a tablet of any kind, it's just off the charts. In fact, people are now altering, women are now altering their bodies. I won't go into detail here to spare your audience, but I I talk about this in the book. Uh, They're now altering their bodies in ways that that were unheard of three to five years ago because 
They want their bodies to look like the pornographic images that are now prevalent, not just among women, but also among not, not just among men, but also among women. It's striking. So every place we turn, everywhere we turn, there's division. There seems to be the fulfillment of everything that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And with the absence of love comes this, the, the resurgence of fear. So courage or humble courage is a huge thing that a follower of Jesus needs to discover or rediscover and embrace more sincerely than ever. If you enjoyed what you've heard so far on the Lucas Miles Show, I hope so. But if you are somebody who's out there and you're going, I need more of this, well, I have some good news for you. If you go to the App Store, you can download an app called the Oasis Network for Churches. That's the Oasis Network for Churches. And it is a free podcast, and you can listen to my Sunday morning sermons, messages. Uh, there's free videos on there, all sorts of goodies. And you can also live stream the Sunday morning services at the church that I speak at, which is Oasis Church in Granger, Indiana. And uh, you can visit that through the App Store. And now back to our guest on The Lucas Miles Show. I think that's awesome. You know, I talk a lot about this idea that, you know, we see Moses in the Bible was the one who wrote about himself. Moses was the most humble man in all the land. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it seems like such a paradox or or so ironic that he would do that. But when you really understand, you know, this, this humility, you know, that mm-hmm. you're speaking to, you know, it's, it's really just being willing to say about ourselves what God says about us, to, to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And I think that that gives us this courage, you know, that you're, that you're speaking to. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. You, you know, humility is simply agreeing with God about what he already knows. And so when we think about all scripture is God breathed, it wasn't, you know, the, the five books of the Pentateuch were not just Moses inclinations, he was carried along by God to write those things. And so if God told you, write this down, you're going to write it down. (laughs) So that's why I don't have any problem with with what it says there in Numbers chapter 11, verse 3 is what you're referring to. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yep. So talking about this uh, this attack on our faith today, um, you know, how— how overt is that? Is it, is it subtle today, you know, in, in people's lives in the States, especially, you know, where do you see that happening? No, I don't think it's subtle at all anymore. I think the cat's out of the bag. And regardless of what your listeners might believe about the current political climate with Donald Trump as the president, I can guarantee you that had Hillary Clinton been elected the president, we would be dealing with the attack against the First Amendment freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion and religious expression um, in, in ways that we had never experienced before that we didn't even think were possible in the United States of America. But still, this this uh, attack, this onslaught against the free exercise of our faith is happening all different places around the country in court systems and school systems. We're coming up on school graduations now and baccalaureate services. And now you watch a hot topic is going to be whether or not students should be allowed to pray during a graduation service. So this is the new world disorder 
known as the United States of America today, where you can be about a, a, a person who embraces just about any other faith. But if you say you're an evangelical Christian and you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, you are in the crosshairs. And that's why it's more important than ever that people learn how to stand up and speak out in this sit down, shut up world. And that's that's the dif- the distinct difference in my book, A Call for Courage. It's a how-to handbook. It shows people how to do that, not just, you know, the sky is falling. We've had a lot of books like that that we've all read or heard about. This is a book that I wanted to passionately help people navigate through how to develop courage as your new way of life. You know, I think one way to do that that I think we would both agree about and I know that you speak about is to become engaged and active in in government as well as our community. Uh, I actually uh, this this Thursday, um, uh, President Trump and uh, his team are coming to my city and doing a big meeting and rally here and I'll be attending that. And, you know, that's not uh, um, I, I think that, you know, as believers, we we need to uh, you know, to, to be involved in that. But, but talk to us more about some of the practicalities that you recommend for people. Well, the first thing, I want people to think long and hard about this because many people of faith have pulled out of politics and the public sector because they think, well, religion and politics don't mesh. And they would say, you know, separation of church and state. But the biggest culprits of that are we Christians. We're the, we're the ones who are the biggest culprits of that. We've separated ourselves from involvement politically. And People need to think long and hard about what will happen if people of faith, people who embrace Judeo-Christian values, if we all pull out of the political process, guess who's going to be left? Take a wild guess. <laughs> people who don't embrace Judeo-Christian values. And guess what those those people are going to do, those legislators? They're going to pass legislation that doesn't agree with or support Judeo-Christian values because that's what you would do if you don't uh, agree with Judeo-Christian values. So all legislation is an attempt to impose somebody's values on everybody. It's just a matter of whose values they're going to be. So if you ignore your religion in any sphere of life, be prepared for it to go away. Be prepared for the influence to go away. So people do need to be aware of the political candidates that are running for office. They need to know whether or not they embrace Judeo-Christian values or don't. They need to be aware of judges as well, those who are uh, sitting on benches or who want to sit on benches. And it all begins at a local level. People should be involved. If you're in the public school system, you should know what's happening at your school board meetings. They should know you on a first name basis. And they should know that you're there to support them when they make a good decision and, and applaud them. But you're also there to help them be accountable for, for if they do start to go astray, you're right there. And it would make them think twice about going astray. So there's a multiplicity of things. Uh, I cover a whole chapter on it called Battle Plan in a call for courage. But if people of faith don't begin to stand up and speak out with humble courage, then people who do not uh, embrace Judeo-Christian values will stand up and speak out with something other than humble courage. You know, I was I was actually convicted about this a little bit today. I just voted earlier today in our uh, you know kind of state and local uh, local primaries here. But I appreciate that. Uh, you know, and I I felt like I went in there fairly prepared. You know, I knew I knew who I was voting for. I'm going down to the list and the first four or five primaries that I'm voting for. Those I felt great about. You know, I knew for a representative and and mm-hmm. all of these positions. But as it started getting to judges and clerks. 
and auditor and, you know, down the list, I start, I mean, I started feeling like I was playing roulette, you know, because those aren't the names that are spending a bunch of money on advertising. You don't know as much what's there. And I really saw that, you know, probably in a lot of ways, those names are, may even be the most important for me because they're the most local of all the names that I'm voting for, you know, the, everybody else that I knew, they were the ones going down to either Indianapolis or to Washington in order to deal with things. But this this list of names at the bottom, you know, that uh, the prosecutor and the auditor, those and the judges, those are people that are staying in this local area. And uh, I, I, I just kind of left there thinking I never want to go into, you know, I'm a pretty politically active guy, but I never want to go into another election not knowing everybody that's on the ballot, what they stand for and exactly what's, you know, what's behind their, their agenda that's there. So, and I got to think that a lot of people fall into that, you know, with me. I mean, even presidential election, you go in there and you know, the president, vice president, then you don't know who to vote for after that. Cause you don't know anything about those people. Uh, how, how can people, you know, this may be putting you on the spot a little bit, but what sort of resources or, or advice would you have for people to help them kind of break through that, that, uh, maybe some degree, I'll call it, you know, since I'm picking on myself here, ignorance, uh, of candidates in order to get more into the nitty gritty of really, where am I casting my vote and what is this for? Great question. And, uh, I think it's important for people to understand that it, it's not an intentional ignorance. You know, it's not an intentional apathy, Lucas. We, we all live very busy lives. And I think we need to be gracious with ourselves and with each other. Nobody intentionally, you know, is checking out. It's just that these the elections kind of sneak up on us. So it seems and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what do we need to do? But what we need to do is is slow down and reprioritize our lives because America, as we know it, is fundamentally undergoing a dramatic change. And if you think the changes are different now, just wait 10 years if you sit down and shut up and don't get involved in what's yes, happening. Yes, so true. Attention. It's really true. So some of the practical things people can do is you can easily use this thing called the internet, right? Google your local Republican Party, your local Democratic Party. And find out who's running for office for judicial positions, as well as uh, elected positions for ca- city councils, representatives, and things of that sort. They'll be able to direct you to the people who are running, and then you can do research on their platforms. And then churches, if you're a church leader, you have an obligation to help your people make wise decisions in how they're voting. And I'm a pastor of a fairly large church in Pennsylvania, a church of about a thousand, but that would be a house church in Texas, you know. Um, but the the pastors and the elders, you need to educate your people on the positions of, of political candidates so that they know where do they stand on the Constitution? Where do they stand on historic Judeo-Christian values? You just need to be careful that you don't cross the line and tell people how to vote. But for Pete's sake, educate your people by giving them information. Because if we ignore our faith in the political realm, it's going to go away. And the backlash of that is going to be an America that's America in name only, not one that is characterized by the freedom of, exp- of expression, the freedom of the press, freedom of religion, f- uh, freedom to gather and assemble. That's going to go away in, 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 within our generation, Lucas. We're going to see that within our generation if Christians and people of faith don't begin to stand up and speak out. 
I hope you're wrong, but my fear is that you're right, and we need to uh, really be vigilant. I think that's a great reminder and uh, a great call to action there. Uh, one more thing before we go, Michael, uh, you talk uh, you talk in your um, um, on your website about achieving uh, and setting goals in the seven areas of life. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about this a little bit? And specifically, I'm interested. You, you mentioned uh, what you call e- eternally significant goals. Uh, right. Can you define that for me? Yeah, thanks for asking. If people go to couragematters.com, which is our website, we also have a free app, the Courage Matters app. But if they go to couragematters.com, they can get that free download, which is what you're referring to. Um, Goal setting and achievement in the seven major areas of life. That's a free audio program that I put out. I'm I'm kind of a recovering uh, anally. uh, (laughs) I don't know how to exactly say it. I used to be so... um, uptight about time and time management that um, it, it really paralyzed me. And maybe somebody who's listening now can identify with that. You know, it becomes all about goals and what are you achieving and things of that sort. Well, post nearly dying four times, um, I began to really think about what is my life in light of eternity? I'm going to appear before the judge and seat of Christ. And I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 3, the quality of everybody's work will be tested for the Christian. If what he's built survives, he himself will receive a reward. But if what you've built gets consumed by the fire, you suffer loss. So the judgment seat of Christ is about rewards. It's right there. People can read it for themselves in 1 Corinthians 3 as well as elsewhere. It's important to know that the things that you're living for are worth Christ dying for. They need to be eternally significant. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to realize, I actually am losing rewards I would otherwise have based on what the Word of God teaches for no other reason than not prioritizing in light of eternity. So we should live each day in light of eternity from the judgment seat backwards. And that program that you're referring to, on couragematters.com helps people think about the seven major areas of life and plan your goals in light of eternity so that you don't end up being surprised when you see Jesus face to face one day. Great advice. I appreciate that, Michael. Our guest today is Michael Anthony. And Michael, tell us your book title again, A Call for Courage. Yes, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. Encourage you to pick up a copy of the book. We'll have all that information on our show notes as usual and uh, some of the websites that were referenced. Michael, really great to have you on the program today, and thanks for being on the Lucas Miles Show. Lucas, thank you so much. A tremendous privilege to be with you, my friend. God bless you, and I mean it. If you haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of my book, Good God, the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace, I want to encourage you to do so. It's available wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you name it, you can find Good God there. So grab a copy. You can also always get a copy at lucasmiles.org. And after you read it, I'd love to hear from you. If you liked it, hate it, shoot me a message. Let's stay in touch and make sure and keep visiting lucasmiles.org. That's all I have for you for today, but make sure and head over to iTunes and download the Lucas Miles Show and head over to faithwire.com where you can always get the Lucas Miles Show exclusively there and listen to our newest episode. We have all sorts of exciting guests, so check it out, the Lucas Miles Show.